It is my absolute pleasure to introduce an incredible woman to the Maven's Private Diaries podcast today. Her name is Marcy Warhaft. She's based in Canada. And what an amazing life and transformation Marcy has experienced. So she's a recognised expert on body image and self-esteem and she's founder of the Fit versus Fiction Body Image Workshops. And she survived a life of turmoil through her tenacity and resilience. And Marcy uses her experiences to help others release themselves of the shame, guilt and insecurities that keep them from living their lives with the joy they deserve. She's also an author of the compelling memoir, The Good Stripper, a soccer mum's memoir of lies, loss and lap dances. Thank you for joining the Maven's Private Diaries, brought to you by thespicyboudoir.com, purveyor of high-quality, premium, body-safe pleasure products for the over-50s and people living with a disability. Hi, my name is Susan, and these are my private diaries. Occasionally, I will host a guest speaker or read out someone else's diary, with their permission, of course. Content warning. This podcast contains the occasional swear word, lewd comments and discussion around sex warning warning you will no doubt hear the emotional pangs of a woman who has lost her libido to menopause listen at your own risk and enjoy well good morning marcy thank you so much for joining the maven's private diaries all the way from canada how are you today yes i am happy to be here it's not morning but I'm, uh, oh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's uh, a cheery seven o'clock in the morning here in Brisbane. Wow. <laughs> nice. It's about 5.30 in the evening here. So there you go. Oh, Gosh, so um, I'm so pleased to meet you because I think you have a really interesting and fascinating story to share. And uh, what I really like to do on my podcast is talk to people from all around the world. and to share with my audience stories of transformation and change and how it's never, never too late to start living your truth. It's only ever too late if you're on your deathbed full of regrets and my philosophy in life is to create what I call Mm -hmm. deathbed memories for myself. And from the sounds of it, that's what you're doing as well. So can you please just give us a snapshot or an overview about what your story is, because I, I find this um, very empowering. Mm, well, in a nutshell, I'll, I'll, let me just say this first. When it comes to living your truth, what I found is that that changes. Your truth can change. And so over, over my life, what my truth was changed. So it wasn't even that I was hiding it or that I was afraid of it. It just, it was, it became different and I wasn't afraid to accept that. And I also think that with change, life is going to throw changes at us anyway. I mean, life, that's what I learned that early on that, that I, as much as I plan, life kept throwing changes at me. So if you are in a, in a situation where you can create a positive change, go for it. I mean, life, life will never be exactly how you planned it out anyway, whether, whether we're at the helm or not. So if we can change, we have to stop letting other people's expectations uh, or, or worry about disappointing people keep us from, from creating that change for ourselves. So for me, 
Ooh, uh, it's tough to put. Okay, in a nutshell, this is my story. It's that on paper, it started off really normal. And I was this very, very confident, very outgoing, spunky, fiery little kid. And uh, I wasn't intimidated by anyone. I mean, I wrote a petition about my teacher in the second grade because I felt that he was mean and, and you know, he ended up apologizing. And I mean, it was such an empowering thing. I was also, I would dance and sing on stage and play sports. And I came from a, a mom who really encouraged me to speak up. She said, you have a voice and it's important that you know how to use it. And so I felt very encouraged and everything was great. I mean, I was, I felt like I could be anything, do anything. And then life changed and started systematically taking away the things that made me feel safe. And, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was young, but the, the biggest change for me was when my brother died when I was 17 and he was 21 and he had been just the, the most amazing big brother. And when he died, my life changed. That was really a catalyst for a huge change in my life because I felt a, that it should have been me. I felt the world needed him more than me. So that this confident kid all of a sudden felt unworthy. I just felt I could not ever be good enough to deserve to be here instead mm. of him. So that was the, that was the, the first blow. And then I also felt completely unsafe in the world because this amazingly handsome, beautiful boy got sick and died. So anything could happen. So my whole, my whole foundation was rocked and I, I developed an eating disorder and, and I just, again, I went from being a girl who thought that she could take over the world to feeling like I didn't deserve to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And when you go through the rest of your life like that, cause it was decades where I felt like that, you become vulnerable to people, to outside influences, to, to things that, <sighs> that make it very difficult to, to grow into the person you're supposed to be. And so um, I, I tried to kind of go on with my life and, and I, but I dropped out of school and um, I moved, but I ended up getting into a relationship and that, that I thought, okay, so it's going to be normal. You know, he's normal. His family's normal. It's going to be normal, you know, because, because after my brother died, my mother had gotten sick. My stepfather was arrested. It was just one crazy thing. after mm -hmm. another. Um, and then but, but life is just like, you know, when they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle, I, I don't believe that for a second, because it was just like, here's another thing. And here's another thing. And I never got to catch my breath and I got married and um, it was just, I still dealt with um, some traumas along the way. And then when I was 29, I got very sick and I was in the hospital for months and wasn't expected to live. And um, I did. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> Spoiler alert, um, but my relationship changed. And at a time when I really needed to feel supported in my relationship, I didn't. I was going through something my doctors called traumatic overload, where I'd just been through too much trauma. Mm -hmm. And my, my brain was like, you can't take it anymore. And at that point, my, my husband at the time thought it would be a good time to open up our marriage. Mm -hmm. And it was not. It was not, I was still dealing with not feeling worthy. I was still dealing with body image issues and self-esteem issues. And, but, at the, but I also didn't feel at this point, I'd also lost my mom. I wasn't uh, in contact with my sister. It was just me. And all I had was him. And so I felt very unloved, but was told that I was desired sexually. So I thought, okay, at this point, I also had two toddlers. And my goal was to do 
I wanted to be the best mother that I could be because I had had the best mother. So I wanted to be the best mother I could be, but I also felt very still unworthy of anything in life. But, and, and I felt unloved, but okay, I'm going to try to find my worthiness through my sexuality. Mm. So that took me into a place where I almost dissociated and I became this trying to be the, the consummate, like the best mother I could be when I was with my kids, but then also just trying to find my identity through my sexuality when I wasn't with them. And, and that could sound empowering, but it wasn't empowering because I confused being sexual with being sexualized. Mm-hmm. And that, that I was somebody who was simultaneously hyper-focused on my body because of my body image issues, but also completely disconnected from it because I was sharing it with anyone who would give me the time of day. And that's, that set me off into a double life for, for several years. And it took me a while to kind of find my way back and, and get strong again. And, and it took years. And then when I finally did, um, it was me deciding that the only way that I could be truly healthy was to leave my marriage and to figure out who the hell I was. And that I, at that point, I was 46 years old and had no idea who I was. I had no, I would look at myself in the mirror and say, who, who is this woman? That's a hard place to be at 46 Mm. years old, but that's where I was. And and it was the best thing I ever did. Scary, but the best thing I ever did. And so who are you now? Well, I mean, I think I'm, (laughs) I'm still changing. I mean, that's the thing. I think who I am is it's, it's such a, it's, it's funny because, I'll give an example. Yesterday, I walked over to the grocery store near me. Now, I have a thing now where I love music. I love to dance. Always have. And I will go out on the street. When I'm walking and I have my music, which I always do, I can't can't walk while listening to music without walking to the music. I just can't. It's just like, and I'm shameless about it because I feel like I've cried enough tears in my life when I want to dance. I dance. And so yesterday I walk into the grocery store and this man I've never seen comes over to me with this huge smile. And he goes, I see you dancing everywhere. He goes, you're just the happiest person ever. And I said, it's I'm not, but it music helps, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love that. I've had, I had another gentleman walk by me the other day in scrubs and he said, you're the dancing lady. And I'm like, I guess I am. So I think who I am is just who, whoever I'm feeling I am in that moment is who I am. Like it's for, with me, it really is at this point what you see is what you get like that's and I think that's what people are drawn to with me I get a lot of messages from people saying you're how are you so honest and it's because I think I kept so many secrets I kept so many secrets fiercely guarded for decades that when I decided when I wrote my book I was going to let all those secrets out it was so liberating that now I can't imagine not being fully me and and it's it's the strangest most vulnerable thing but it's the best the best feeling ever. Mm. So I'm just, I'm just, I don't know who am I? I'm just this dancing, very overtly honest, <laughs> outspoken me. You know? so, so tell us, Marcy, what's your career at the moment? What, what are you doing? And tell us about your book as well. So I'm a, I'm a writer and an author. My book is The Good Stripper, A Soccer Mom's Memoir of Lies, Loss and Lap Dances. And in it, I, I, I decided if I was going to write my story, I was going to, I was going to write it and nobody knew everything in my book. I mean, it came to, I told my kids about it a week before it came out. (laughs) I mean, that's like, that's an interesting conversation to have with your kids. They knew nothing about my, my past. They were fantastic, by the way, really supportive. Um, 
but that again, it's a very vulnerable feeling because I really did. I let out all my secrets because uh, I get very, very honest with everything. Um, but I, so in, in that, uh, that's, so I do that, but then I'm also write for uh, different magazines. I'm the body image expert for a women's magazine called Defy Magazine, which is by women for women. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm the body image expert for that. And I write for different, different magazines. And I am a podcast host for my podcast, How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. So what was the process of writing that book like for you? Was it cathartic? Did you go, did it trigger emotional trauma? Mm -hmm. Did it take you back? How did you manage that? It's funny because people always say that it must have been so cathartic. And I'll tell you in some ways, what I found great about the process was that there were things that I had known for years, but they circled in my head in the same, in the same loop. Once I put it out on paper, I was able to see it almost objectively. And there were things that I, I was able to forgive myself for that I'd been punishing myself for because I looked at it and went, oh, wait a minute. Now I know why I thought that way. And now I know why I acted that way. Now it makes sense. And I was able to really understand myself better just by putting it out on paper. Mm-hmm. So that was great. I think what was challenging was that when something, even if it's super traumatic in your life, if you've known people who've been through a lot of trauma, sometimes they will talk to you about it. And it, when they're saying it, it's like nothing. It's like nothing for them. They're just telling a story. But for you, you're like, wow, that's a lot. And I think it's because that's what we do when you've been through a lot of trauma. I was once told that it's healing to keep talking about it because then it becomes more of a story you're telling it. You own it more than it owns you. Mm. So that's how I had gone through most of my life. But you can't write from a, a, that perspective if you want other people to feel what you're feeling. So I, in order, I really, it was important for me that if I was going to share the things that I had been through, the highs and the lows, I really wanted you to feel what I was feeling. Mm. So I had to, it was almost like I had built up the scar tissue and I had to open up the scar tissue Mm. and feel that again Mm. so that I could explain to you and, and really make it clear to you how I was feeling. So that's tough because, you know, the book goes up to me being 46 and that's a lot of trauma. I had a ton of trauma. So that's, and I wrote the book in seven months. So that's a lot of trauma to go back to in seven, in seven months. So I was in physical pain. I was going to the chiropractor. I was going to the massage therapist. And it wasn't until I took two weeks off and visited a friend and went, I, I don't have any pain. What's, and I realized, oh my God, it's part of it was just writing it and your body is reacting. Mm. So in some ways, absolutely cathartic. And in some ways, quite challenging because it did, it did bring me back to, I mean, some of those chapters there were some chapters that I needed to write through the night. I would write all through the night into the morning because I didn't want to stay in that part of my life for more than a day. I wanted to get in and get out. Yeah. And so that's so, but I will tell you what I didn't expect because there was no way of knowing. Writing it is one thing. Knowing that it's going to be published is another thing. But having people actually read it, there's something you don't need. You don't really realize it. And so then to this day, somebody will say, oh, I ordered your book. And my first thought is great. And my next thought is, oh God, they're going to learn a lot about me. And then you hear from people, like I would hear from people, 
hey, we went to camp when we were eight years old together and I had no idea, you know, or whoever, teachers, or it's just, it's all of a sudden you're like, oh God, because I get pretty naked in, in the book, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very, very vulnerable, again, experience. But I mean, I use those two words together because it's vulnerable, but also liberating. Once yeah. you put it all out there, it's just, there's something I, 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 it's, I've no regrets with it at all. Exactly. At all. And, and I'm so with you. There's my life is pretty much an open book. There's certain topics I don't talk about in business and on, on my podcast, such as my family and my ex-husband. I'm, I do talk about my ex-husband, my experience when I was married, but um, everything else it's it's all out there i've got no shame uh, i just want to share my wisdom with other people women in particular who are struggling mm-hmm. to find their voice cuz i'm glad when I, when you said that your mum you know raised you and said you have a voice speak up i didn't have that type of childhood i mean i had a a pretty good childhood when i look back um but my mum, she had five children and I guess generationally it was all about just providing, you know, mm. clothes and food. Um, there wasn't the emotional nurturing and the emotional mm. being my champion in life. And um, I found my voice probably about 15, 17 years ago. I was mm. always too scared to speak up. Like I, funnily enough, quite shy. People mm-hmm. go, you're shy. I say, yeah, I'm shy. <laughs> I just have learned to manage it. Um, but there is an introvert in this extrovert. Well, um, I just have to say, yeah, just about that. I think it's so, it's, it's such a big deal what you're saying because my mother had horrible parents and somehow she managed to, to do exactly what they didn't do. And she had a hard life. My father left when I was 10, didn't pay a dime of anything. She was left with three kids to raise. Then she lost a child. I mean, she had every reason to be bitter and she was just love personified. But I think the reason why, I believe the reason why I did survive all the stuff that I went through was because I had that first foundation of my mother and my brother. I had these two people who made me feel so loved. I say all the time, I describe them as my brother being the invisible armor I wore out in the world to protect me and my mother being my safe place to come home to. Mm. So that having that foundation, I believe that saved me later on. Now I'll tell you, losing my my armor at 17 and then my safe place to come home to at 28 and pregnant, I, I still haven't fully recovered from that because mm. I still believe that they were the only people who really loved me unconditionally. And mm. the minute before I heard my brother pass away was the last minute I really felt safe. Mm. in the world but the deeper you love the deeper the loss right so I I as much as I it pains me and guts I'm gutted to this day of losing them I am so unbelievably grateful mm. that I had them the privilege of having them at all even for just a short time yeah. so I do I do think it's so important because I know a lot of people who didn't have that relationship with their with their mothers and I think yeah. that um it, it is a big deal like I, I I it's a it's a huge deal to have that support so I'm very mm. grateful for that no i look i'm i'm slightly envious of you and envious of other women i talk to who have had great relationships with their mum like um it's a whole other episode mm-hmm. go into. Mm-hmm. but i wanted to ask is it okay if we talk about your sexuality mm-hmm. absolutely 
pivotal moment <laughs> you had this realization when did that happen was it while you were still married or after you ended your marriage oh yeah it was a difficult thing so I actually well I'll tell you this so during my marriage when when he wanted to open things up and things went kind of crazy we were doing a lot of crazy things swinging and just and then I went rogue and was just doing everything with anyone well not everything with everyone but you know yeah. <laughs> I wasn't that I wasn't that picky it's more um, I I was kind of just yeah um but I did meet oh, there was a woman that I met and it was the first time in my life I felt this unbelievable power with her this attraction this, we were we became good friends but we also became intimate and at the time I felt like okay what it taught me was what it taught me was that I could be, I could have feelings for romantic and sexual for a person. It didn't matter the package that they came in. Mm. So that kind of opened my eyes to that. But I still thought, I thought it was just her because I didn't find myself attracted to other women. Mm. It was just her. So then, I mean, I was, I, there was a part of me absolutely that wanted to explore what that meant. Like what, and we weren't right for each other. It was a crazy time in my life, but I thought, okay, so what does this mean? I was very curious to know what that meant for my sexuality, but I was married. I had two little kids. It, mm -hmm. it felt selfish to take the time to explore that. I didn't feel that it would be right. So I kind of just told myself it was a one-off, like it's just her, it's over. Uh, and, and then I, I was in such a bad place with my eating disorder and once I got healthy in my life and, and we stayed together, my ex-husband and I, for a while, I focused on that. And I sort of told myself, I, from then on, I, I kind of called myself straight with a twist. I felt like I was straight, but there was just a, a little something, something, you know, can't quite, but it didn't matter because it was in my past. And that was fine for years. And then it was, God, decades later when I kind of really found myself going, ah, I don't know, a feeling a bit torn. Like I was, I was, even when we split, even when I left my marriage, I had nothing to do with my sexuality. Uh, I was still dating a lot of men, but unsuccessfully, you know, you look back, there's so many things you look back. I've spoken to a lot of women who came out later in life and you look back and you're like, Oh my God, Marcy, like, what were you? But I would, I would date a lot. I would always end the relationships and I would watch, you know, when you watch movies and, and the, the women are like, eating ice cream and they're crying with the breakups and it's just yeah. the stereotypical, you know, and I would end a relationship and be like, whew, all right. Like, <laughs> and then I feel like a terrible person because I'm always so relieved. I'm like, I don't understand. Um, but I always did. I always felt like really, really relieved. Or I'd wake up in the middle of the night sometimes when I was dating somebody and be like, I can't, I can't, do, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like something just felt wrong, but I still didn't know what it was. I just thought I was lousy at relationships, which maybe I, <laughs> I could be. Um, but I still kept, and I would never go into a dating situation thinking, oh, maybe he's the one. I'd just be like, I'm going to meet someone new. Like it was never, I don't know. Mm. And then it was a few years ago. I remember going, and I did, I did. I was out with my older son and his girlfriend one day, and I had just broken up with somebody. And she said to me, you know, I see you dating women. And I'm like, what? They knew nothing about my past. Nothing. It was just out of, like, what are you talking because yeah, I just, I see that. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And I think we, I think they came over and we signed me up for Tinder for like women, but there was just, they were like, I was living in the suburbs. There were like two women in my area, maybe. So I just thought, 
I also thought, which a lot of women do, it's too late. Like, what am I going to do? Like, even if this is where I want to be, it's too late. Like, I, I felt, do I deserve that? Can you change? Can you, will I be accepted? Like, it just felt like it's not going to happen anyway. So I might as well just stay the course kind of thing. And so I kept dating men. And then I remember just a few years ago being on a date. And he was a good looking guy, nice guy. It was a beautiful like, group by the water. And I remember thinking, this is such a great date. The only thing that would make it better was with a woman. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this, is, this means something. Like if I'm thinking, and I still didn't, I still didn't like completely. And then it was only like two years ago, you know, it was during the pandemic and I could, kind of couldn't date, which was good. Like I couldn't really. And it gave me some time to myself and, and I was just, I found myself, this is so ridiculous to say, but I found myself on like lesbian TikTok. You know, there's a big lesbian portion of that. Yes. And I just was like, okay, like this, I like this. And I just, I felt like something in me was like, you can't, you can't, you can't ignore it anymore. Like you need to figure this stuff out. And I had no desire to go out with men after that and it had nothing to do like this is the thing I make this very clear when I when I talk about this because I've when I did come out or I did start dating women I have people say especially men if I'd say mm -hmm. oh I'm dating women they'd be like oh I, I get it men are terrible and I'm like okay first of all I'm not saying that second of all if you think that well what are you doing about it but it has nothing to do with men like my desire to be with women has nothing to do with men and and that's a very hard thing for people to understand. Like being with a woman is not a consolation prize because mm. it didn't work out with men. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's really, people think that it's because, oh, you've had such bad experiences with men. So that, no, I know plenty of straight women who have had horrible experiences with men and they might say, I don't want to date for a while, but they're not going to switch. You don't just switch and go, oh, I'll date women. It just doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't, that's not the thing. So I was, I just, something and that usually is what happens with me. Something just kind of clicks and I'm like, I can't, can't do it anymore. And uh, yeah. And I, I just was like, that's it. I'm done. And, and it wasn't even like, look, it was during lockdown. So I really came out to myself. Like there really wasn't anything much I could do. And I also, I, I honestly, Susan, I felt like by doing that, that I was making the decision to be alone for the rest of my life because I felt that I'm cutting off half the population. I'm too old to meet anybody. I'm new to the community. I don't know anybody. We're in COVID, so I can't even go out to meet anybody. So I'm by saying this, I'm making the decision. And the thing was, I was okay with that because I felt like I would rather be single for the rest of my life, but know who I am, than keep putting myself in these dating situations that aren't working because it's easier or because it's expected, you know? Yeah. And that's, I've never done the thing that's, I've never, I've never gone the easy route ever. So I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna start then. <laughs> and that um, realization, I guess, uh, would have come along with learning a whole new culture and way of interacting with people. H how was that? What was that experience like? Uh, you know what, it keeps evolving, I have to say. I think that is again one of those things that keeps women because there's a lot of women coming out later in life and one of the things that that 
keeps us from from that. There's a lot of stereotypes when it comes to gay women, I believe, I see on TV and things. And, and I felt I didn't fit a lot of it. So maybe I'm not gay because I don't fit those stereotypes. Mm. And like, I realize there's, I'm just me. Like I, now I, I used to, when I first came out, I called myself lesbian and now I'm just queer. Like, I don't, I don't, eh, I don't know. Like, and I'm 52 and who knows what I, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't want to put myself in a box. I don't want to label myself. I know I'm not straight, you know? Mm. Um, but I think, I think the fear is that you have to do it one way. I think a lot of women who are coming out feel like they're not gay enough to be straight, not straight enough to be gay, you know? And, and, and there are some women in the community who have been out forever and they don't, they're not super welcoming if you're new. And then there are other women who are super welcoming. So it's mm. to find your, you have to find your people. Um, but it is different. I, I remember the first time, like I got on a dating app with women. I'm like, how do you flirt? Like, I didn't even know how to, like men are, men are easy. Like men are really easy, like to flirt with. And it's just easy. I don't know. But, but with women, it's, I just, I didn't know what to do. Like it was different. And I was more conscientious about it. And I was more sensitive about it. And then um, it's just, it's, it's, I'm finding it. I found it challenging and then easy and now I'm finding it challenging again. Like I'm, I'm still learning. It's, 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 it's a, it's a whole different ball game. It really, I'm finding it to be a, a whole different ball game, but it's, so it's like starting dating. Like imagine like starting over yeah. in your fifties. It's, it's something, it's yeah. definitely something. But how exciting and how invigorating you must feel. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think, um, why not? You know, it's like you said, you get to the end of your life. I mean, I want to feel like I want to be exhausted from everything I've tried. Like life, life can suck that everything out of you. Like life can be draining and I've had a lot of the bad stuff exhaust me. So now I sort of feel like I had enough of that and there's still difficult challenges. I mean, we're all dealing with difficult challenges. So I feel like if you can throw yourself into a fun challenge, you know, why not? Like that's whatever comes of it, comes of it. It's mm. just, I am excited by change, but I, I've always been, I've always been somebody who I used to fight change. I think a lot of us do. And then I thought it's, you're, you're fighting something you can't, like it's going to happen anyway. And to fight it is ridiculous. So now I kind of go with it, but there are a lot of people I think we're taught to do that. It's that whole, the evils, you know, versus the evils you don't know. So mm. a lot of people will stay in a situation because it's not that bad. Because what's out there could be worse. Whereas the way I see it is, it's not that bad, but it could be better. And maybe, maybe what's out there isn't good, but maybe it's amazing. So for me, it's worth, because what I've learned too, I mean, this is the sort of the good thing that comes from when you have awful things happen. You see how much you can survive. So I sort of feel like I've survived some pretty tough stuff and I'm still standing. So to try something new, if it doesn't work out, it's not going to kill me. You know, I'll, I'll be fine. But again, it could be amazing. So why deprive myself of the possibility of amazing? Exactly. Because of fear. No, I don't, I don't let fear do that anymore. Yeah, that's right. I, there's a saying, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. And I, 100%. I embraced that some time ago. And one of my other quotes that I've hung to, I've really cl clung to this, and um, whether it was really said by Vincent van Gogh, I'm not sure. The internet says it does. It was, but <laughs> it was something along the lines of um, imagine what life would be if we didn't have courage to try anything. Mm. 
And so I have really clung to that. And I would say to anyone listening, if if you're thinking of doing some challenges, start small. Something I did for myself, like to teach myself to speak up and find my voice. I couldn't speak up to people I didn't know. So I started to practice talking Hmm. to whenever I received great customer service, I would compliment that person, which meant I had to get over that hurdle of speaking to a stranger. But it was a very neutral and easy battlefield. Mm -hmm. I decided not just to say, look, thank you very much, you were lovely. I I would be specific because I needed to string words together and form Wow. So I would say something like, no, look, this would just be at the checkout at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear, but my cats have just started to play. And they're <laughs> um, I would say to someone, look, thank you so much for getting me through the checkout so quickly because now I get home quicker and, and drilling it down. And then I would get back their delight. Right. Mm-hmm. Smile, which made me feel good. So I practiced that for a long time. Now I could eventually, that started to translate into my work and into my office, uh, into my family life. Um, the other thing, like when I ended my marriage and I, I moved from North Queensland, I'd been up there for 20 years and I moved to Brisbane and I was single and I set myself right. I've always been partnered. My whole life I had been either married or in a relationship. I only had like 12 months between my marriage and my six-week fling who became a seven-year partnership. <laughs> um, but I, these are the things I set myself to do. Go to the movies on my own because mm-hmm. I've never been to see a movie on my own. Um, go out, like join a, a group, like a, a social, or I joined a coffee club and I went on my own. That was the very first thing I did when I moved to Brisbane. I'd always felt I could never go out without somebody with me. Hmm. If I need this, someone to hold my hand. And um, I've done, since then, I've done stand-up comedy gig. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it was great. I um I'm so that's become my armor because I know not everyone can do that. And I made people laugh. Yeah. So I'm quite proud of that. Yeah. Um, but I also um after moving to Brisbane and, and cracking those on my own things, I decided to explore my sexuality. And so I, I went to sex parties and a sex club and met people in the fetish community because I didn't want to die not knowing <laughs> what these things were like. Yeah. And I say to people listening, for God's sake, make a bucket list for yourself. Think about the things that are really important to you and what you want to achieve and just fucking do it. Yeah. And not even important. Some of them don't even have to be important. That's it can right. be frivolous. You know, right? It could be. Go and swim nude at the beach. I do that now too, by the way. (laughs) I like to go and get my kid off. So, well, Marcy, I really enjoyed our chat today. Just tell us what's next for you. See, with this question, I will tell you, I will always say, I don't know. 
Okay. I don't know. And I'll, and I will, and I will say this. Uh, I went from being somebody who people would say, they started to say, she's doing what? What's she doing? Oh my gosh. She went to now they're like, she's doing, Oh, of course she is. Oh, it's my, Oh, it's good. And I think, I think um, that's my thing is that I, I don't know what's next because I'm open to so many, to so many things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, loving doing my podcast that had a ruin your own reputation where I highlight people who are doing unusual things and living their life un- unapologetically. And through that, I'm meeting the most amazing, interesting people and getting more experiences through that. So I, I don't know who knows what's next, but I'll tell you, whatever it is, I'm going to be unfiltered and unapologetic yeah, great. about it. Yep. That's wonderful. And that's the way to live life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, seriously had a gag on my voice for so many years so many years I was worried about offending people and I was worried about what other people might think I just most people, people are yeah most yeah. people most people still are I hope I keep disappointing people who expect me to live the way that they want me to live I hope I hope that's the thing because I always say I, if I get to the end of my life and and I say, oh, I hope I didn't make anyone uncomfortable. Then I failed because I would rather you be uncomfortable with my life than me yeah. be uncomfortable yeah. with my life. Yeah. yeah, that's a great, great way to, to look at things. So just to close up, what would be your one key piece of advice that you would give to somebody in um, making that change and embracing that change? What I've learned, I've absolutely learned is that the fear of, for me, it was the fear of my secrets coming out ended up being way more damaging than my secrets coming out. So I think the, the fear, whatever it is that, that, that we're afraid of, whatever it is that's keeping us back from trying things, from being who we want to be, from evolving and changing, the fear, I'm telling you, it's so much bigger than, than what happens in actuality. So don't let fear keep you from you will survive i'm telling you what you will gain from trying something new from being honest with yourself from asking yourself what you want for taking those steps that is so worth it and so don't don't let the fear tell you that you shouldn't do it don't let fear hold you back it's not real don't let it hold you back so there's a saying about and i don't know who said this one so if anyone knows it please let me know (laughs) that when we're in our head we're behind enemy lines okay which is true and quite often and something I talk about to women about our orgasm actually lives up here in our head Mm -hmm. okay I know mine does and it gets buried under have the dogs got water have we got milk (laughs) and bread what do I need to what bills do I need to pay so so yeah so coming back just do it this the fear is all in your head okay and um just make yourself a little plan a little bucket list about things to bring into your life and you don't have to start huge but start Mm -hmm. small and reflect and journal Uh, you know journaling for me Mm -hmm. reflecting on my experiences that's now why I'm the woman I am today because I've you know I've sat down and I've thought about it I've also talked I've had um a great GP and I've and I've had counsellors and good friends to support me along the way so 
It's just, I think fun is important. I think fun is, fun is underestimated. I think life is hard. And I think we have to make sure in, even in the smallest way to make sure that we make a little time for fun, whatever that is for joy. You know, like I said, for me, it's, it's walking down the street with my music and dancing, yeah. you know, just find, find time. It's not, fri- fun is not frivolous. No, that's right. And, and nor is pleasure. Like I have this theory that 100%. pleasure mm-hmm. is our stress relief valve. So masturbate as often as you want. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm <yeah>. with you. So. <laughs> I'm with you, sister. Yeah. <laughs> but Marcy, thank you so much for speaking with me on the Maven's Private Diaries. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to your book and I'm looking forward to your podcast series as well. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I'll, we'll make sure that all your links and everything are in the show notes. But Perfect. Thank, thank you. you. And I look forward to chatting to you again. I think we need a part two. Yes, absolutely. And you're going to come talk on my show, and I'm so looking forward to that. Yes, yes. I've got lots. I want to do a whole part on just on pleasure. Like I'm, we're going to get deep with that. Okay, I'm this. there. So we're, yeah, that's going to be a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Cheers, Marcy. Thank you for listening to The Maven's Private Diaries. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and took away some wisdom, chuckles or inspiration. Let me know your thoughts, either positive or constructive. Uh, You could leave me a review on your listening app. So this podcast is the property of Susan Jarvis, me, The Maven. For inquiries, please visit www.thespicyboudoir.com.